Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you today from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life for you. Amen. Pastor Jeff Becker will deliver this morning's sermon. This is a great philosophical question that may catch us pondering today, especially in light of our gospel reading. It's almost in the same vein as asking, what is the meaning of life? But this is the question that Pontius Pilate actually asked Jesus at his trial. We hear this from the Gospel of John in chapter 18. It's a big question that challenges us, I think, because there are different versions of the truth, right? But are there? Because truth is most often guided by our perceptions or what information is available to us. There is a saying about truth, specifically when two people are involved. Truth has three versions. There is the truth according to each person, that's two, and the actual truth, which is the third. But there are also undeniable truths, right? Things that we can agree on. Things like the sun will rise tomorrow morning. That is an agreeable truth, I hope, or at least it has been since the fourth day of creation. But we also know that truth can be subjective. The truth can be manipulated in a way that takes on its own version. Truth can speak one way of understanding until more information is known. Historically, I was thinking about the event in 1938 of the broadcast of H.G. Wells' story, The War of the Worlds. Many people that heard that broadcast took it as an actual unfolding event, and it caused great panic in large populations in the United States, but it wasn't true. I also think of things like the beginning of COVID, not to belabor this point, but we know an incredible amount more today about this virus than we did 14 months ago. In those beginning stages of growing infections, we were fixated on making sure that anything we touched was intensely sanitized because our historical understanding was that bacteria and viruses spread very easily by contact. But today we know that acquiring the COVID infection from a surface contact is very minimal. The time in virology, excuse me, that's an easy word to say, virology has changed our understanding enough to know that the truth is that COVID was not spreading that way so prevalently. Truth is often also controlled by the one in control of information. This is one of the challenges in saying something is true. This is, of course, at the core of our court system in seeking justice. What is truth? What are the facts? What are the undeniable facts that help to reveal the information that needs to be known so that the correct version of events and things are understood? So it's not always easy. In fact, it can be a big jumbled mess. Primarily, of course, because when we bring truth into our realm, it is always sinners that are involved. Where there is gain of any sort or avoiding the truth, sinners will manipulate it. Our gospel text for today comes from John chapter 17, and it is what is known as the high priest prayer. The whole of chapter 17 is actually a prayer between Jesus and his Father that we get to hear witness to. You see, these words which we hear today were not simply a narrative containing something that happened in Jesus' life. 
It is also not about something that Jesus specifically taught or commanded his disciples to do. Remember, these verses are not an instruction for you on how to lead your life or how we as Christians should act. What we actually get to hear witness to is God the Son speaking to God the Father. The timing of this prayer is on the night that Jesus is betrayed and he is arrested. He prays this prayer for his disciples knowing he is headed for the cross because he knows that after his death and resurrection and especially after his ascension, the powers of this, of this world are going to turn on his disciples in the same way that they turned on him. Sin, death, and the devil have been defeated by Jesus, but I think we all agree that they still have undeniable power on this side of God's kingdom. And today we try to understand what do these words, what does this prayer mean for us? Remember that on this night, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. The same night he is arrested and he's taken to Pilate. It is the same night he breaks bread with his disciples. The night he gave his last will and testament to his heirs and gave this promise to his disciples that he's going to give himself, his whole body and his blood for the forgiveness of sins of all people. After Judas leaves to betray him, we hear Jesus speaking to the disciples through chapters 14 to 16, and then he turns to the Father. And what you get to hear in this prayer is actually God's disposition towards you. Knowing what was going to follow, where was the focus of Jesus' attention? Not on himself, but on his disciples. A lot of people will say, I want to be like Jesus. So I have a question for you. What would you pray for knowing that in just a few hours, violent and hostile men would seize you, beat you, flog you, accuse you unjustly, and deliver you to be crucified? Well, we know what Jesus prayed for, for his disciples. But that's not all, there's more. For some reason, our lectionary writers have cut you short today because there are great words that come in the verse just after our lectionary text for today. And they read, I ask not only on behalf of these, that is, the disciples who are present with him, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. This is chapter, or excuse me, verse 20. And to paraphrase it, Jesus is saying, Father, I pray for those who will believe in me as a result of preaching, because of the true mission of the church, as a result of having heard your word and promise. I pray for those who will believe in me because they have heard the gospel. Jesus Christ prayed for you, every one of you. You that have come to know him because someone spoke this promise into your ear. You see, Jesus' prayer was not general. It wasn't impersonal. It was really as personal as it gets. He was praying for you, for each of you. You know, we all easily slip into a mindset of, what do I need to do to gain this favor from God? Or at least to be good enough in God's eyes. Well, this is actually the devil whispering in your ear. 
Because he will tell you that you need to earn God's favor and that you will actually never be good enough. And you listen to him. I actually see and hear this often. But there are other insights which we can gather from the witness of this scripture and especially from Jesus' disciples. Maybe you need to be as greedy and selfish as tax collectors in Jesus' time, like Matthew was. Or maybe you need to be as self-righteous and power and glory hungry as the brothers John and James were who wanted to destroy the villages that would not welcome them and were dreaming about places of great honor sitting with Jesus in heaven. Or maybe you need to be as as boastful and not able to keep your promise as Peter, who we know so famously denied Christ. Maybe you need to be as cowardly as those disciples on the night of Jesus' betrayal, when they spoke about laying down their lives, committing to him, but when real danger came, they ran away without even looking back. Now we could continue this list of virtues of Jesus' disciples in that time. Greed, sexual promiscuity, debauchery, tax collectors, prostitutes. They were all counted among Jesus' disciples. But they were real sinners, not imaginary. But quite often people also think that there must be some criteria that must be gained to become a Christian. And a big part of this is because certain strains of the the church have actually told you this. You've heard that not everyone is fitting and not everyone is good enough for Jesus. Many of you know that I was not raised in the church and I came to faith later in life. And the church that I attended at that time held a similar belief to this, that there was qualification to knowing God's favor. And I was actually told by the pastor in that church that I was not good enough. That somehow I needed to make myself better to be acceptable to God. And it was devastating. In fact, many still hear this very burdensome prerequisite each time they go to church. And especially when communion is served in those congregations that unless you make yourself right with God, you do not deserve communion. You don't deserve communion. If you are someone that hears this from your pastor, I'm here to tell you this is not biblical. And it is not Jesus Christ's words for you. It is actually theological abuse So quit listening to it. To come to Christ's table, you cannot see yourself any better than a sinner or a betrayer. In need of God's redeeming, which is exactly what Christ does in the Lord's Supper, he makes this promise to you a sinner and makes you right with God through his promise and by his body and blood. And in this prayer, Jesus is not teaching you to be something that you aren't or you can't be or what you're supposed to do. It doesn't tell you to make yourself better. No, instead, what Jesus is asking is for his Father to do these things for you. And Jesus not only asks his Father for it, but he tells you you're going to get it. 
And it is the truth, and he sends a preacher to speak these words to you so that you may hear them and know them. Friends, I need to be crystal clear about this. There is no criteria that one needs to attain to know God's love. There is nothing that makes us suitable to be Jesus' disciples. We are because he says we are. It is because God the Father chooses you. He gives you to Jesus in the form of a promise and Jesus gives you himself fully and completely for the forgiveness of your sins, making you right with God. This is to know God's favor. Jesus chose you. You did not choose him. This is scriptural. The Father gives you his Son. It is not your work. It is the Father's work. So that you would come to believe in Jesus Christ that he is the true God, our true Savior, your only way to the Father and your only way to new and eternal life. The truth is that Jesus tells you this over and over because he knows the voices of this world are continually trying to tell you otherwise. And so Jesus pulls out his big guns, full well knowing the devil is using his own because we can certainly see the work of the devil in our world. He asks the Father to protect you from the world. Then Jesus baptizes you into his death and into his life. And that is the truth. He tells you this himself. Sanctify them in truth for your word is truth. Because our text tells us he has glorified himself in you because you have received his word and this means that he has given you himself and the promises that grant you faith. To know deep down in who you are that you are chosen by God and that nothing can separate you from him. Jesus himself testifies to it on your behalf. Now like I said before I read the gospel, pay attention to the pronouns. And this prayer gives you the pronouns of promise. But I'm going to give you one more. Know that Jesus Christ has done all of this for you. And that is the truth. Thanks be to God. Amen.